Welcome to Tech Leaders Hub, where we interview technical managers to ask them about their winning strategies, lessons learned, and actionable advice for other leaders. I'm your host, Jakub Greitzar. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to Tech Leaders Hub, episode number 19. So good to see you here today with us, dear watchers and listeners. And my guest today is Aviv Ben Yosef. Aviv, how are you doing today? Hi, everyone. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really excited to have this uh, session today. Second session in two days. I'm really excited about it <laughs> i love to do to do it uh, you know to give our tech leaders hub audience a lot of streams a lot of interesting guests that they can learn from ask questions and just become better tech leaders in the process meanwhile as people are still joining in uh we are going to be talking about a very exciting topic today the first 100 days as cto what to do and this is all based of course Aviv, on your knowledge and also the knowledge that you've kind of captured in your book, the Tech Executive Operating System. So I'm very excited to dig into all of that. In your opinion, with the content that we have, with the you know valuable information that we have to present today, who do you hope is tuning in? Who will benefit the most from listening to this conversation? Uh, I would say mainly engineering managers who are considering the next stages in their careers. Mm-hmm. Directors, of course, and uh, frankly, I sometimes do this 100-day routine with people who have been in the job for quite a while, simply because they need, uh, I think, to recalibrate. So if you're in one of those positions, I'm hoping you're going to get a lot of just talk. Yeah, yeah. I <clears throat> Also looking at, you know, what was kind of, you gave me a little bit of a teaser of the book. I do also think that even if you've been a CTO for a while, you can use this framework to recalibrate and to make sure you didn't miss anything that you might uh, might have missed in the first 100 days. So we'll get into that very, very shortly. We'll talk a little bit about you and your background uh, before that. But before all of that, I want to ask you the traditional tech leaders hub question. And for the people who are joining in from the very beginning, uh, which I'm very grateful for personally, uh, I wanted to give them value up front. So the traditional tech leaders hub question for you, Aviv, is what is your number one tip for tech leaders? I usually start by saying that we have to stop and take a breath and don't rush and act and react actually to whatever is happening because that's our default. But I want to see leaders in technology actually, you know, leading and not being led by what their calendar is telling them to do, by requests coming in. I want to see you start by taking a breath thinking about what's coming in, and then deciding how you want to react, whether you have to react right now, what is the right way to approach it, etc. So, you know, relax, especially with all the news consumption and everything. I know the people, uh, it's like our cognitive load is at the top that it can be, or at least it feels like that. So don't get overwhelmed, take a breath. And uh, we're actually gonna, I'm, I'm guessing, cover a bit the, the the topic of this triage that I recommend people do. Yeah, yeah I, I think that is great advice. I had this, I was looking through my Google Keep notes the other day and I had this pinned note, a quote from a book that really stuck with me. And it said, 
when you sit down, I think it was about sitting down at your computer. It's like when you sit down at your computer, reacting to what's in front of you, to what's in front of the screen is incredibly easy, but it's also the wrong thing to do. I'm misquoting here, and I wish I remember the title of the book. As always, I don't. Uh, I'll, I'll try to get it to you later, uh, to you all, uh, the watchers and listeners. Uh, but anyway, I, this really kind of helped inform my actions for the next few weeks. I was like, okay. I can see this notification coming in. I've got this email, but what is my own agenda for today, for this week, for the month, for the quarter, etc.? Uh, exactly. It all really fits with what you just mentioned. So here's another tip, uh, number one tip, and you know another one to the to the collection. Thank you a lot for for sharing that. And just a reminder, watchers and listeners, any questions at all about what Aviv is talking about. Just leave them in the comments and we'll address them. Uh, that uh, is in effect for the whole duration of the session. So um, trying to get as quickly as we can to the kind of the, the 100 days, because there's a lot to cover. I wanted to just take a brief kind of stop and talk about you, Aviv, a little bit about what you do day to day. Who do you help? How do you help? Tell us a little bit about the book. It's, I think it's the first Tech Leaders Hub session when I'm like with a book author, you know, <laughs> and you, you <laughs> can tell us about, about the book and what's in there. Give us a little bit of context of where all this knowledge will be coming from today. All right, sure. So I'm based in Israel. Uh, I've been coding since I was, I think, eight or nine. Uh, I served in the Israeli army and the equivalent of the NSA. And afterwards, I worked at IBM. I worked at startups. And for the past nine years, I've been independent. At the beginning, I was this sort of super freelancer helping a bunch of companies that are now you know, sold or, uh, or unicorns or public here in Israel. And after a few years of, you know, Doing a lot of fishing for my clients, I decided to uh, to start helping them learn how to fish by themselves, which is when I started to make a transition from this hands-on work to uh, sort of a team lead as a service and CDO as a service to what I do nowadays, which is mostly advisory work and coaching for CTOs, VPs of engineering, CEOs sometimes, helping them create this machine of product engineering that actually has a great impact and I say that my mission is to ensure that engineers are no longer treated as merely as Jira resolution machines. I want them to actually use their potential to its fullest. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. This actually meshes very well with one of our previous sessions. This Jira, I think it was called a Jira ticket machine there. It, it was right <laughs> in the in the title there. It's something that's on the mind of a lot of uh, tech leaders. So tell me, what do you find the most fulfilling about what you do? You know, what kind of situations do you feel like you, you've left the most impact? You know, could you give an example? Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of have made an interesting pivot in what I do because I really, I love code and I, lo I love seeing results from getting software to do magical stuff. But in the last few years, I've pretty much stopped coding except for my own hobbies. And yeah. I get my kicks out of seeing the impact on people's lives. Like I really enjoy seeing this over ever growing list of companies that I think are better off now. And, you know, whenever I see another PR saying that so-and-so just raised around or were acquired or are now a unicorn and that sort of stuff, I'm, I'm really, really happy about it. Um, there are certain companies that I can really feel like 
you know, the, that's that's one of my greatest moments. Like companies that the CEO comes up to me and tells me, if it weren't for you, we would have closed shop like two years ago. And that's like, wow. that's the sort of fulfillment that I never could have gotten really by coding. So I'm really, really happy about that. And that's what I'm looking for. I really want to help make more and more companies a lot more successful where everyone feels that they're reaching their not just their potential, but you know, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So sure. right on top, you ha- you have self-actualization. That's the, that's the the most that's the thing that we get get to after we have everything else. And I feel like you know, in our industry, we're privileged to be in such an industry where people are well compensated. We are safe. We're not you know doing physical labor. We have pretty much everything else, and we just need to get to that self-actualization. And if you help make people actually use your brains, actually bring in innovation, be creative, that can really make for something that I, I call it a career moment. It's something that people are going to look back for the rest of their career on this role they had and say, that was a good time. And that's what I'm trying to create. Yeah, uh, I love that answer. It actually meshes very well with what we're trying to achieve as an organization too. When we look at our clients, the businesses, when we see them thrive, nothing makes us happier to see them succeed, win awards, etc. Okay, so final question before we get into the you know the, the kind of meat of the session, the content. I want to ask about the book. I'm super super curious about the book. What's the genesis behind it? You know, what's in it, and you know how did this whole story unfold? Yeah, well, it started about two years ago, just when COVID started. All of a sudden, I was no longer commuting to Tel Aviv a lot. So I had a lot more hours on my hands. And I was thinking, what should I be doing with this extra time? Even though I had you know, too many kids at home with me, I still wanted to do something uh, special. And that's when I started thinking about this concept of writing a book, because First of all, I realized that I thought it will be fun for me because I thought it would be actually beneficial for me to put all my thoughts, you know, in an orderly manner. And I cannot work with every company in the world. Some companies um, just cannot afford someone from the outside to come and help them. Some companies Mm -hmm. just, you know, we can make it work when it comes to scheduling. I'm like, why not just spread the word and help more and more people see what I see? In my experience, working with a lot of companies globally as what is helping them to reach their goals. So I started working on that. I have a coach uh, and he actually has I don't know, like 40 books out. So really, really knows the process. And he helped me come up with uh, my business, uh, my uh, sorry, my book proposal. And then I found a publisher, A-Press, that really liked it. And I have written it over the course of about three months, which is relatively fast. But just I realized that I had most of the book, you know, right in my head. I just had to type it. So yeah, yeah. I, I wrote it over a course of three months, uh, talking with a bunch of executives from around the world. And it has been out for almost a year now with, uh, with uh, a bunch of amazing feedback i I, you know i i I didn't know if people still read books you know they're not the new york times bestsellers but Uh i regularly get comments from people from all over the world you know from 
countries I've never heard of uh, reaching out to me saying that, hey, we I, I implemented what you wrote about and it has made a great impact on our business. Thank you. And, you know, it's, it's worth it if I only got one comment. And thankfully, I got more. So I'm really happy about that. Right. And the book is called The Tech Executive Operating System. Look it up. That's Aviv's uh, work. And you can obviously grab that and peruse the, the content. We'll be digging into a little bit of this content today. And that's what we'll do just right now. So there's uh, a bunch of chapters in the book. The one chapter that I thought we might uh, focus on the most for today is the first 100 days as CTO. I really want to dig deep into this subject and you know, get as much kind of actionable advice out of you as, as possible for this uh, particular <laughs> subject. So I wanted to ask you first to kind of set the scene for this. You know, we know like you have the knowledge and you've explained it in the book of how to do the hundred days as CTO, the first hundred days, right. But what does, what usually happens when a CTO is, you know, inexperienced, unguided, what kind of traps do they fall into and how can these first hundred days fall apart? Well, actually it's very similar to the tip we just started with. You don't get real onboarding as an executive in most companies. If, you, if you're starting a company from scratch, you're not going to get any onboarding because you're creating it. If you're being uh, promoted or hired into this position, it is very rare that you get some sort of real onboarding. You might get mm -hmm. some knowledge about the company itself, what the product is. You'll get some of the engineers to tell you about the technology that you have. All right, you're going to get that. But what you're not likely to get is the real meat of it which is what are the strategic decisions that are coming up that we need to prepare for? Where are the different weak points in your organization and in your solution, in your product that need to be uh, revised, that sort of stuff. And no one tells us about this. You likely will need to spend months to uncover everything. And if you uh -huh. get into your role in this sort of reactive manner, you know, because I, I can promise you, the second you're in this chair, you're going to start getting a stream of requests and problems and issues, you know, right, dropped right on your lap. And if you just start reacting to that, rather than taking a minute to breathe, like I suggested earlier, you're going to drown. You're going to get overwhelmed and you're not, never going to get to a position where you're taking a strategic role. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that handling this sort of overwhelm is the first thing that you have to do. It's like realizing that you're gonna get this fire hose of issues, questions, requests, problems, and you have to learn how to cope with those and mm -hmm. still maintain this you know, vision over the horizon and not just looking at whatever is popping up on your calendar and rushing from meeting to meeting. Right, yeah, so building the picture of the problem here. And the first thing I'm hearing is a lot of people are going to come to you with a lot of problems expecting you to react. And the trap is you know, don't get reactive. I wonder though, is there anything else that's a problem in this scenario? Is there anything else that kind of compounds this problem of not only are you getting these many requests, but maybe something else is also happening within these first hundred days? Well, there is, well, there are a bunch of things, but first of all, I look at these transitions, and I've seen quite a few of these, and I think that we have what I call the window of malleability. You have only a limited amount of time where you can get usually 
more credit for making changes. Because mm-hmm. when a, a new manager, a new leader is in place, people expect some sort of changes, some sort of transition period where things might not be as they were used to it. If you wait longer, if you, and I usually say that it's roughly one quarter. If you wait longer, what ends up happening is that people feel like, all right, this person is not going to change anything. We're, we can just continue doing things as is. And you kind of miss your shot. You can still make changes, of course, but I believe they will be harder than if you had initiated things earlier. And second, for you as the new CTO in place, what also is happening is that you are slowly losing your beginner's perspective. You become uh-huh. acquainted with the way things are. You know how, you know, it's it's the same for everything. You get a new car, you, you sense that new car smell every day. You go to a new job, you every day you take a different bus to the office. You still feel like it's something different mm-hmm. in the first week, the first two weeks, maybe after a month, but eventually you get used to it. And the same applies to how we view the work itself. In the first week, you get a lot of those moments where you're like, why? What, what? What? Why are you doing it that way? Or you know, you look at something and like, that's intriguing. I wouldn't have wouldn't have expected them to do it that way. Yeah. And with time, you just you get used to them. And if you haven't acted or at least made note of them and later thought about what you're gonna do with it, you're gonna miss out on all of this insight that you get as someone who's new in the role. So you also need to avoid that trap of just pushing things aside to when you have time because you're going to miss out on a bunch of very important stuff and you're never going to have time. And, you know, lastly, I also think that if you want to be a, the book is called the tech executive operating system. And I say that technical people are very good at the teching part. The executing part is harder. And I, I want to help. Yeah. And I want to help them become real executives in the role, be it CTOs, VP of engineering, you know, whatever. I don't care about the title right now. But I want them to be genuine executives and not just glorified managers. And to get that, they have to, within those first hundred days, start making sure that they have a seat around the table where the real decisions are made, that they start building rapport with those colleagues that they have, the other executives in the company. So they get this vision and they start being aware of what's going on and not just being told, hey, we need that, but they can see the plans being formed to realize mm-hmm. what is coming you know, down the line and maybe actually start help shaping that. So all of that, I, th- that's a lot. And you know, this is a tough job, uh, but to do it successfully, you have to work to position yourself in this sort of uh, more strategical position. Yes, you are also extremely tactical, especially at small startups. Uh, but you also have to ensure that you have this longer-term vision and you're not just sucked into the day-to-day constantly. Yeah, so when I'm imagining a startup kind of scenario, I can imagine a CTO being tempted to say, you know, to the CEO, maybe it's like just two people at, at the beginning, very often it is, you know, you focus on what, on the what and the why, I'll focus on the how. And we just had a session also yesterday covering a lot of it, is that you have to be interested in the what and the why as a CTO also from the very beginning. So this all meshes perfectly with what we were covering uh, just uh, just yesterday. And you've built such a great picture of this problem, you know, and I'm really feeling 
the pressure that the CTO is is facing here now. On the one hand, so many people potentially coming with problems uh, that feel like need, they need addressing right away. On the other, you've got this limited window of, you know, people are bracing for change, maybe even a little bit more willing to change because new CTO, uh, something might happen. And then you've got this fresh perspective, right? You've got this fresh mind uh, and you're uncovering insights that if you don't capture them and formulate a plan around them, they might not come again because you'll just slowly get more embedded and kind of blind to, to what's already happening in there. So, so I love the picture we've built here. And I suppose the next natural question is, okay, so these are all the traps you might potentially fall into that and the kind of lack of context, the what and the whys, which we mentioned just now. If these are all the traps, then how do you begin to untangle that? What do you do in the first 100 days? You know, I know you've got the, this kind of framework for it. So take us through it. And, you know, what is the very first step to, to start here with, you know, first day, first days, what's the first thing to do? All right. So first of all, I think that you have to start taking control of your time, which is start allocating regular time to get yourself educated and build rapport with the other people in your company. So I have in the book a list detailing out the sort of people you might want to talk to and the sort of background you you might want to get. But to cover it really briefly, I think that in your first days, you start with two things. Block regular time on your calendar to talk to people and learn and try the product out and, and, and think. So this is what I call product mastery. I want to make sure that you understand, just like you said from your session yesterday, you have to understand the why and the what. You have to understand the business, understand your customers. How is the product used? Why is it used like that? What are your competitors doing? Why are customers paying as much as they are paying? What is the value that they're getting out of it? Do, mm -hmm. do you understand the company's vision and what the CEO has in mind for the next five years, that sort of stuff? You have to get all of that. You have to talk to all of your different colleagues in the executive team to start making this real relationship with them. Some of, some of them hopefully will turn into real partnerships, for example, with the head of product to ensure that you understand what they're doing. They can come up to you with issues that they have. They might help you uncover issues with your existing organization because they can say, I don't know, I don't know people are not delivering on time and I feel like they are not communicating with us uh, about issues that they're having or whatever. And mm -hmm. that's one thing. So you have this building rapport that you have to allocate time to. It really changes from one company to the next. But I usually say that in the next, in the first 100 days, you want to have an average about two hours a day where you're learning and building relationships with people. So it's either trying to product out, talking to your colleagues, talking to, you know, having one-on-ones with everyone in your organization if needed. Just get to know what is happening what is going on that that about two hours a day for the first 100 days and the second sorry yeah. if i may so i think if somebody's watching or listening to this they might be very curious about the kind of the specific people to talk to you know i, I you know you listed in the book if you could give us just you know at least a part of that list i heard head of product who else yeah sure so off the top of my head of course, the head of product, the head of uh, UX or whatever it's called in your company, because I think that those three, this is the triumvirate that actually 
makes the product happen. And we want to ensure that these three actually have a working, healthy partnership going on and start with that. Second, it depends on who you're reporting to. In some companies, it's, um, I don't know, maybe a CPO, maybe a COO, maybe the CEO of, but talk to whoever you report to and nail down specifically what are their fears and risks about your organization in the near term mm -hmm. and start getting from them the access to the strategy, to the roadmap discussions. So I, I call it, you know, here in Israel, we have a bunch of chutzpah. We can, we can make sure that we get to wherever we want to get. Uh, it's, it's, I often tell someone, you know, you need to be in that meeting and they'll just, they'll knock on the door in the meeting and just walk in. Uh, in some cultures, it might be a bit more problematic. So talk to your CEO, explain why you want to be there, explain how much more impact you can have if you understand what's coming up next, rather than just being told, do this and do that, and get that invite to those discussions. Start making sure that you're injecting yourself where you need to get. So we have the CEO and those close counterparts. Next, I highly recommend talking with pretty much everyone who is a senior leader in the company, the head of customer success, head of marketing, head of growth, whoever it is, talk to them. You, you have to start with one initial get to know conversation because the CTO role really affects everyone. And I believe that turning these into an ongoing relationship where you actually touch base with them regularly to see how things are going on, create a real relationship with them can really help you create this solid sort of executive team that's like a team, not, not a bunch of executives working there uh, all, yeah. all by themselves. And you start with those. And of course you have to have contact with the important people in your organization. And it's most startup, you're gonna talk to everyone in the engineering or R&D organization and get to know them personally. In bigger companies, you start with the directors and managers and maybe from time to time get to know other uh, engineers and individual contributors. Mm -hmm. And I do think that you also need to aim to get some real, I, I call it, you know, friction or FaceTime with your users, with the customers who end up using the product. Because just like product people do it regularly, engineers and engineering managers and leaders don't have to do it as much, but we do have to have a good understanding of how our customers act, how they think, how they use the product. So I really recommend having some time with customers in those first, not even in the first 100 days, but in the first month. So you actually realize how they're thinking, how, they, how they're using the product, what language they're using, and you know, everything around that. Yeah, I love that. And it's no wonder then that you're allocating two hours per day in the first 100 days just for that. And one last follow-up question before we move on from from here so i'm imagining i know who to talk with now i'm imagining myself as part of these conversations and you know we probably could do a whole separate session about just how to run these conversations but is there like a key to them like a key question that usually unlocks the best insights or is there some particular tactic that's worth using here well, when you're talking to your counterparts, I usually say, start by asking a bit about them, about their background, just like you did with me, because uh -huh. I feel like if you understand the, the path that someone has walked, you have a better understanding of their thinking and what uh -huh. they probably want to achieve. And second, for them, I usually ask, what is the most critical thing 
that my organization can do for you right now? Or what is the biggest risk that you're seeing? That's a great one. Yeah, because I I wanna give people value right from the start. So I wanna make sure that if there's something that's urgent and I can help them with, I I wanna do that. If it's something that's too big and non-immediate, I want to be aware of it. So I can, you know, put it, write it down and actually start thinking about it and see that I can help them with that. And that's something that I think should start most of those conversations. When you're talking to your people under you, then you should usually start with asking them to introduce themselves and then I I love to ask, uh, what what do you feel is the most important or sorry the, the most unique thing in your role right now compared to the rest of your career, and mm-hmm. that is so open ended that it usually ends up creating interesting discussions. Wow, I love that question. I wonder how I would answer that myself. I would probably say that running these sessions is the most unique thing, actually. <laughs> you know, you can be because uh, I'm marketing manager right now, and you could be that you know in a bunch of other uh, organizations and not be doing live streams, certainly not hosting them. So yeah, this is my unique thing <laughs> right here. <laughs> but anyway, that's what I do. I hear hear a question and try it out on myself uh, quite quickly. Okay, thank you for indulging me with all this additional detail. And really, I, I feel like that's these are insights that you can really take and apply. So I love to do that. Uh, within our sessions. Let's move on though. Uh, so you mentioned uh, you know, building this uh, rapport, building this context, getting to know the people, two hours per day, I got all of that. What else is needed to succeed? Uh, you know, what, if that's step one, what would be step two? Yeah, so it's, it's not, the, I wouldn't say that it's linear. You have to do a few things concurrently. So you have these meetings sure, yeah. for building rapport going on about two hours a day, like, like we just said. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time is the sort of mayhem that you know tech is. So I call in the book juggling or you know keeping a, a bunch of plates spinning. You have okay. to just accept the fact that you're gonna see this fire hose of information and requests and questions coming in. And in order to not get overwhelmed, we have to take control of it. And it's it's sometimes it seems funny that I explain to someone that has been managing people maybe for years uh, that they need to take control and start triaging this stream of requests. So I often actually start engagements with new clients by telling them, you know, how do you manage yourself for day to day? And this is usually the, the most important part is how do we handle this juggling thing? Sometimes I have to work through people about how are we going to set up a system for you to remember everything? Because usually from, you know, you have like 10 different conversations or meetings a day at minimum, and pretty much each one of them creates an action item. How are you going to keep track of everything? And you know, I'm, I'm very pedantic. I have, it's not next to me right now because... Uh, we're on this call, but I usually have a notebook and a pen next to me so I can always write down, no matter what, whatever I have on my screen, if I'm face-to-face or on Zoom, I can always write down the tasks and then I diligently copy them to a task system, you know, like ClickUp or whatever, so I can make sure that I never forget what I committed to, I have dates assigned to it, and not everyone has to be as pedantic as I am, but you do have to keep track of your commitments. You have to know what you promise people, and you actually need to track what people promised to you so you can actually see that they are delivering on their promises. And once you start with that, 
once your first reaction, when someone comes up to you, is not, I have to react and start doing the thing. But your reaction is, all right, I'm, I'm going to write it down. I'll get back to you. All Noted. of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. You, okay. yeah. all of a sudden, you've disconnected the two things. And, you know, it's like the move to the asynchronous world of communication that we had in the past couple of years. All of a sudden, the request doesn't mean that you immediately have to start handling it. And that means that during those two hours, maybe sometime you just sit down and triage whatever is on your plate and think, what do I need to do? Or do I notice that some things are um, repeating? We seem to have a bunch of problems when it comes to, I don't know, the uptime of a certain part of the, of the system, or there's a team that seems to have a bunch of personal problems with, between them or whatever it is. And I, in the book, there's a nice diagram that if anyone's interested, maybe I can put it in a comment uh, on LinkedIn or whatever later, so I can paste it. But there's a nice diagram that shows that we collect this building report and juggling into two things. We take that into the triage where we have to ensure that you keep track of everything that's happening and prioritizing it so nothing falls between the cracks. And there's, there's the action of clearing the fog of war. If you've ever played I stopped playing games too long ago, actually. But if you've ever played something like StarCraft or something like that, yeah, you I have know. this you have this map. And it starts with a big fog, and you have to actually walk somewhere to realize what's happening over there. And I, I say that the part of this building report that I just told you, we have to talk to a bunch of people and see customers and see everything, is because you're effectively like jumping in a bunch of different spots on the map so we clear the flag of war faster. And once you have a better understanding of the company as a whole, because you just you, you had little bites, you tasted a bunch of different parts of the company. Yeah. And and you have this list of the burning issues that you're collecting all the time and all, all the problems and everything you promised, you start focusing on forming your plan which is, this is the real big deliverable that you should aim to have around two months into your role. Yeah, yeah. Sooner is probably premature. Later, you're going to miss that window of malleability I talked about. And yeah. we just had a great example. You know, Intel just, uh, I'm saying just because it's relatively in the last few months, installed a new CEO. And he, within the two the first two months, I think right, up, right around the mark of those two months, he came up with a new grand strategy for Intel, the changes things from the ground, a bunch of changes that no one has uh, even considered previously and et cetera, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I, I think that your deliverable should, should be aiming to have this plan in the first couple of months. Yeah. Okay. I get that. And I want to get a lot more into that, into that big deliverable that you mentioned. Although a few questions, follow-up questions popped up in my head. And these are all about processing these requests that are coming in. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned ClickUp, you mentioned putting it all in a system. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of ClickUp. I actually have like a testimonial <laughs> from me on their site. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> what I wanted to ask about is when these requests come in, right? Is there anything, like, how do you approach this, that you're getting a request? What information do you need to have about this request? Because it's not just, you know, the head of product would like this to happen, but you should probably ask, I mean, from the top of my head, probably how urgent is it? What impact is this going to be? But what? how do you actually, you know, what kind of information do you collect about all of these uh, requests? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I think that urgency is the most important thing because you're, you're going to have some fires to put out. No, no matter what, what you know, how, how non-reactive we try, we try to be, you're going to have some outages. You're going to have something that makes you have to react pretty instantly. Mm -hmm. So you always have to understand how urgent something is. After that, once you've realized that something doesn't have to be handled right here, right now, or even if you did, I, I say, do you have to be the address? Because sometimes, you know, things fall in your lap, but you're not the right person to handle it. Maybe they need to talk to someone below you. Maybe they need to talk to a different organization or someone else entirely. You have mm -hmm. to understand that. Once you realize that, as far as you're concerned, this is something that you're in charge of and or at least you or someone else in your organization, and it is not an urgent thing that has to be handled right now, then it goes on my triage list. And as part of this review, if you've ever read or heard about getting things done and this whole mindset, you collect your inbox of stuff and then you review it as, you know, in batches. I usually try and do it once a day where I collect these and, and try and cluster them and see what actually makes sense. Some of these, once they've sat on a page for a day, are no longer relevant, which is great because it means I can just delete them. Others, uh, I can see that, again, there's some sort of a theme coming up over here or I actually need some more information about X. So I write down, for example, the, the product person comes and talks to me about a big idea that they just had about something for the next quarter. It's not urgent because it's an idea they had for a few months in the, into the future. But I just wrote down that in the next time that I have a conversation with them, for example, this whole building rapport thing, I'm going to come up with a bunch of questions about this and see if we have any gaps. And then I'll have a follow-up task to talk to whoever's responsible in my team to see if they have any mm -hmm. you know, ideas about it, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so all of that makes perfect sense. And I'm also curious, once you do actually process the, these requests and they, they are not of the, you know, it resolved itself variety. I mean, love that <laughs> type of problem, but obviously most are not like that. Um, do you have any tips for how to actually organize this afterwards? You know, do you organize this by, you know, by person or, uh, you know, is there some sort of other way of uh, kind of taking all of these requests and there can be, you know, multiple a day and trying to put this into a sort of structure or system? Is there anything that you've used before? Oh, wow. I have to say that I believe that this is extremely personal because I, okay. when I first started doing what I do, I tried and, you know, just, I had my hammer, which is how I do things personally and what's been working for me for over a decade. And I just tried to hammer that to whoever I was working with. And it worked okay. great with some of them, but with others, there's just, they are wired differently. They just can work with this sort of uh, system. So what I do nowadays, I really believe that we have to tailor a system to how you work. Some people really, really can't stand the concept of, uh, you know, prioritizing a list or going over stuff. They just they they just write really, really, you know, at high level stuff like um, feature X and that's it. They don't need something that's as specific as I like doing. Some people actually do this thing where they prioritize their click-up list. So whatever is at the top, that's what they're doing. Others just you know, open it, see what they feel like doing, and then start working on that. 
Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that works for you, as long as you're actually getting things done and you're, you know, you're going through your list, that's fine. Sometimes you might need adjustments or making your use of time better. For, for example, I recommend to all my clients to have leadership blocks, which are, you know, blocks of time where you just sit there by yourself and you think, or maybe you try things out, maybe you read something specific about a competitor, about the market, I don't know, whatever. But time where you invest in yourself and you do some thinking, which is rarely happens nowadays because you have to be talking to people all the time. And when you're talking, you're not thinking a lot. Um, so I, I like having these leadership blocks. And usually after the first 100 days, if you were diligent enough to allocate two hours a day, you can change that to be about one hour a day of leadership blocks, or at least twice a week. And mm-hmm. in that time, sometimes you just need to look back at what have I been doing in the past week? What, what has sucked all my time away? And try and realize if I'm seeing any um, ways to make things better. If I see that I'm constantly putting fires out because our DevOps people are having a bunch of issues maintaining the scale that we need, all right, let's talk about that rather than just allowing it to just remain urgent issue after urgent issue. Maybe it's time to take the initiative and fix this in a way that actually solved this one time and for all, that sort of stuff. Okay, I see. All right. So, I mean, I do agree on this point. It is a personal uh, system that you have to build for yourself. And, you know, I could talk about just this one subject for a whole separate hour, but I'm trying <laughs> yeah. not to fall into my own trap here and not focusing too much on the tactics. So let's kind of zoom out again. Uh, we got to the stage of, you know, formu- formulating the plan. And yes, we are both talking about a graphic that the watchers and listeners unfortunately cannot see, but this is like the turning point. You've done the juggling, the building, building the report. You've put this through triage. You've cleared the fog of war. You've got the information that you needed, or at least as much of it as is kind of feasible to get in that time. Now it's time to start formulating the plan. Tell us about the plan. What should it look like? What are the first steps to formulating it? You know, what's the kind of, is it a document? Is there a structure? Just take us through the steps. All right. So first of all, I would say that if you're working with someone like me, usually you will have some sort of a document because it's just easier to think about stuff like that. I try and force people to put things in writing and then just, you know, say whatever comes to mind in a meeting, because if you think about it, it, it's more likely to be valuable. So I really like having a document and, you know, a document might sound like a big scary word, but a document might be a one page or Google doc, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. with 10 lines in it. I'm fine with that as well. And this plan, usually I, I chunk it into four different parts. First of all, you're going to have fires to put out. You're constantly going to have things. It's, it comes with the role. That there's no, no way around it. And as part of your plan is to see how bad are the fires and make sure that you have a way to maintain them in a way that, you know, we don't want this to, to get to a point where we have to evacuate people out, out of their houses, if I'm going to yeah. abuse the metaphor a bit too much. I, yeah. I want to make sure that we know what's going on. We understand even the areas where we're having problems and make sure that it is contained at least until we can have the time to solve it in a better way. So there's that, first of all, putting the fires mm-hmm. out. Second, there's the list of questions 
that you want to dig deeper into because there's no way that you're going to realize everything you want to know within your first 100 days. Either because you have some questions about other people or features you never even got to see yet, or because you're constantly discovering new stuff and you have to spend time researching it. Either you have to research time or maybe mm -hmm. During this, for example, as you are forming your plan, as you're seeing everything, you're thinking, you know, maybe we can have a machine learning model that takes all of these requests that we're getting and find a way to answer some of them, uh, you know, automatically or suggest solutions to clients, for example. And we don't have any machine learning knowledge in the company so far. So maybe you add a list on your plan under questions to answer and that is consider a proof of concept or machine learning model about this and that. For example, these are the sort of questions that I want to write down and see how we start tackling those. Could you Next. give a couple yeah. more examples of uh, such questions? Okay, so yeah, sure. maybe we should consider machine learning. You know, could we build a proof of concept? A couple more yeah, so, examples would be perfect. So I'll, I'll just try and think off the top of my head of things that I saw recently applying. One of them is, do we really have to have this business model that we have now? This is a very, very high level of question. But I see a lot of companies that realize that, for example, they're selling both on-prem and SaaS solutions, and mm -hmm. the CDO is looking at the cost of the on-prem solutions that tend to be very you know, customized, and, and sure. um, maintenance is extremely costly, and they write down, why do we still have these? Or can we make those lower or whatever? That's another question that's not going to be answered with the engineer. It's probably going to be answered with the CEO or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one good example. Another example would be uh, a question to, to yourself about uh, is the current structure of the organization the correct one? And I'm going to touch the organization and personnel in a second. But sometimes you realize that you need more time to look into this. And you want to, for example, have a deep dive into a part of your organization and see how they're acting over there. Sometimes because there are issues. Other times, which is something that I like when I see it happening, is because you notice a bright spot. A bright spot is a term from, uh, I, I think, the book Switch by Dan and Chip mm -hmm. Heath. And in yeah. it, they say, if you notice in your organization that something is happening you know, above average, it's, they are above the bar of the, of the company, dig deeper, find that bright spot, and try and make everyone else aware of it. So if I see one team that seems to be doing a lot better, I want to understand why, so we can multiply that and make sure that everyone else in the organization gets a bit better. Right, because that bright spot might be where the best practices are actually, you know, being born for your organization, and then you just need to spread them, you know, across the organization. I love that. I love that exactly. uh, concept. So if I've got um, examples of questions to answer, I want, was wondering if you could also briefly list uh, some examples of, you know, what should I be visual visualizing when I'm thinking about the fires to, to put out? You know, are there any typical examples? Is this like something about the infrastructure, scalability, or, you know, could these be fires of a different uh, sort? Yeah, so usually it's stuff like scalability and outages, and we have certain parts of the system that keep failing, and we know that we have to, yeah. you know, we have a bunch of duct tape holding it in place. That's one thing. Uh, another sort of fire is that, for example, someone just quit, or we're missing a manager here or there, and I know that 
we're going to work harder to compensate for it in the next couple of months until we staff the session, for example. All right. Uh, and another example would be, we just had a few of these in the past year or two, which is big shifts in the industry that you have to handle one way or another. For example, when Apple announced the change to the IDFA thing, where they actually changed the way that advertising works in mobile and Facebook yeah. and everything, I know a bunch of companies that, you know, it, they just started spinning for months because until we got clarity about what Apple is going to be doing and until we realized what are the different solutions that we could do, and that, et cetera, this was a huge fire that had to be managed. It wasn't a problem for the ICs in the company. It was a problem for the executive team. And it's yeah. a sort of fire that you want to ensure that you spend time on regularly so you are on top of it and find a hopefully a good solution for it. I love that. Thank you. And that makes it a lot more concrete. And now I'm, I know what we're talking about, you know, within these these issues of the fires to put mm -hmm. out and the questions to answer. But those are two elements of the plan. So could you take us through elements uh, three and four? Yeah. So next we have the personnel and organizational decisions. Sometimes mm -hmm. it is very clear right within your first two, three months that you need to be making some changes in your organization. I sometimes call it uh, doing uh, org chart debugging. You look at it and you realize that, hmm, for example, maybe we have too many teams that are too small. And that means that we have a managerial overhead that doesn't make a lot of sense. Some companies, mm -hmm. for some reason, end up having, having a bunch of teams where they have a manager and two people under them. And I feel like that's not a good use of manager attention. Usually you want to have a ratio that's more towards one to five, one to six, one to seven. Um, so maybe you realize we need to make some changes here. Maybe you look at the organization and actually you are understaffed when it comes to managers because each manager has like 10 or a dozen people under them and they can no longer sure. actually do their job uh, good enough because you know they're only human. So you write down, I need to hire more people. Maybe you actually need to hire a new director. It's that sort of stuff when it comes to the organization. When it comes to personnel, maybe you spot, you need to make some changes as in there's a team that's lacking expertise and we either need to move someone from a different team to them or hire another person. You need to realize how your hiring plan looks like for the next year so you can ensure that you can reinforce where you need to, et cetera. Maybe mm -hmm. you would brought in and you realize that the company is currently having a big attrition issue and people are leaving. And that's, a, you know, it's a, it's a combination of a fire to put, put out and a personal issue that you need to start managing and to realize what's happening. Maybe plan to hire more people than expected because you expect more people to leave. And, you know, at the end of the year, we're going to be about even about that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a bunch of usually not easy problems. Handling the people part uh, is the real tough part in our job. You know, the technology is that's easy peasy. We can just write down whatever we need to or look whatever is topping hacker news and use that. Yeah, but yeah. you know, actually making people change positions or realize that hey, maybe you are not really built up to be a manager right now in our company, or maybe you should consider becoming a manager. Whatever those are tough decisions, tough conversations. It takes a lot of time sometimes to make people realize that in a way that doesn't end up antagonizing them or makes them too angry. So 
you really need to do that in a way that is sensible. And that's why I really, really recommend starting in two, three months because usually the personal stuff takes like another quarter to actually mm -hmm. make changes on the ground. Yeah. And what would you say to a CTO who, you know, listening to what you just said, that the people part is the hardest and, you know, we, we all know this, I feel like it's, it's one of the first things you, you learn being an executive. What would you say to a CTO who is looking at his organization, his or her organization and thinking, I know there's a people problem. I know there's, you know, there's some sort of structure that sort of works, but I know it could work better. But once they start moving elements around, you know, either, you know, even if it's removing people from the organization or just restructuring, I know that this will cause, you know, the disturbance in the whole structure and they're hesitant to do that and they don't know where to start. What would you say to a person in that situation? How would you try to help them solve this? First of all, it's never easy. The question is, are you sure that this is the right solution? If you think that you have spotted the right solution, it doesn't matter if it's, I mean, it matters personally because it's gonna be tough, but it doesn't really matter. Once you know what you need to do, you can just stick with that knowledge and start acting. You have to believe that you have found the right solution. And that means actually talking to a bunch of people, not, you know, sitting in your ivory tower in front of it deciding, you know, I I'm gonna move around the org chart until it looks pretty, muhaha, right? No, no one's gonna do that. We're gonna get to know the people, we know what we wanna get done, and with constructive conversations, by building rapport, by getting alliances from the people involved, and from you know having some risk ma management because may maybe some of the people will leave or be unhappy and you will have to compensate one way or another. You have to do all of that, but if that's because you believe that you found the right solution for the company, you have to execute. And sometimes, you know, I'm guessing it's not gonna be surprising for you. Sometimes people bring me in simply because they need another person to look at their you know, perfectly fine plan and say, yeah, that makes sense, you know, let's do it. Um, I was helping a unicorn that was thinking about a reorg for over a year to actually implement it. And you know, within two months, we had a big reorg, things have changed. Some people left, some people were you know, made to leave, but a year later, things are now much, much better and everyone is a lot happier. But that specific executive just needed a trusted advisor that can tell them, yeah, you're making the right decision. Mm -hmm. Now let's get to it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I get that. And it is kind of surprising, but it does make sense. Sometimes the plan is good and you just need somebody to kind of give you that push. And yeah. really all of that you're saying about this plan, especially for this, you know, very critical part of, of the people and the structure, it all stems from the information you gather in the first part, you know, the first part of our conversation, the first part of this process yeah, from building the report, from clearing the fog of war. If you don't clear the fog of war well enough, you won't have the information to, to formulate this, this plan properly. And speaking of, We've only got like five minutes to go in this session, which is, uh, I find it hard to believe. Uh, but <laughs> we do have the fourth element to to go through in terms of the plan. Tell us about it. What's important here? How does it usually yeah. work? So I'll, I'll do that last element really quickly. And I'll say that it is change initiatives. You have to decide what are the big initiatives that you're going to take on. Do you need to have a big reorg? Maybe it's time to move your teams to uh, from feature teams to empowered product teams, which requires a big getting OKRs in line and that sort of stuff. 
you have to decide what are your own personal projects that you yourself are going to be heading in the next quarter two, three. And I have a complete chapter in the book about how to manage change initiatives because, you know, it's a big topic. Um, but basically, you want to make sure that you have those and you want to start communicating these change initiatives to your peers and to your organization so that people actually start be, being aware of what is going to happen and start working with you towards it. Um, and these are the main components of your plan. And you should hopefully, within the first 100 days, have enough information to put this in place, start sharing it, and actually start working towards it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's a, that is a whole journey. We just covered, you know, 100 days in like 40 minutes or, you know, 50 something uh, minutes. What I'm curious about, and to tie a bow on all of this, I would say, so how does this then get communicated, actually? You know, you're working with CTOs, they formulated this plan, you know, it might have been a one-page Google Doc, but is there any particular way to then, you know, just, is it like, okay, I'm inviting, you know, the board and, you know, my top uh, leaders to a meeting and I'm like, okay, I've been here a hundred days or two months here's the plan, here's what we're going to change, or is there any, does it happen with this kind of fanfare or does it usually happen more gradually? No, I'm, I'm, I'm against fanfare in, in general. I think that I see. if there's something that people do wrong is if you're in a big meeting and you're presenting your discussion, your initiative, and too many of the people involved are surprised and unhappy about it, you're doing it wrong you actually have to use the report you've been building in the previous two and three months to leverage it and go with the relevant parts of your plan to the head of product, to the CEO, to you know whoever is involved and say, you know, I, I've been thinking about this. What do you think about that? And maybe they have good input. Maybe they, they don't agree about some stuff and you find a, a good solution for everyone. Maybe you need to talk to some of your managers and see what they're thinking about different ideas that you have because they know the system better. Maybe they have good feedback. And after you have all of that, then you probably have something that is going to be easier for everyone involved to swallow. And you don't have to have this big, you know, you're cutting a ribbon and saying, hey, this is the new plan. Uh, some people do that. I just had a client do that and people really liked it. But others just chunk it up and say, here are the three things that we're going to be focusing on right now. And they know, those CTOs know that they're going to have different things already planned, but they are only sharing those three things because they want to see what happens. And then, you know, we're going we're to change things as they're happening. So whatever works for you, it depends on the amount of certainty that you have and how good of a rapport you already have in order to have the company trust credit that you can spend and actually start changing things in the way you'd like. Right. That makes perfect sense because if you're in the room, you know, talking about your plan and you've already discussed it one-on-one -on -one with the CPO and the CEO and you maybe want to convince the, I don't know, the CFO or, you know, the CMO or which, whichever, you've got people, you know, with you who already understand the plan, are already on board, they can help convince the rest. Okay. So against fanfare, I get that. And... I suppose this popular advice also comes to my head, you know, feedback early, feedback often, you know, as you're formulating the plan, you consult it uh, to not just unveil this whole big thing that might cause a lot of resistance all at all mm -hmm. at once. So I love that. And honestly, I love everything you shared today. This session has been so kind of structured and we managed to pack in so much kind of 
information per minute. I really like that. And it really shows that you thought this all through. And, you know, for anybody who wants to dive even deeper into this, the tech executive operating system is there for you. And you can read all about that or you can get in touch with uh, Aviv. I should say, actually, uh, you know, before we wrap up here, because we are kind of slowly uh, getting to our one hour uh, mark. Is there anything that you wanted to kind of announce to the audience anywhere you want to direct them to, any kind of link you want them to click, follow you somewhere? Uh, what, what's the best way to do that? Sure, so I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn, so you can follow me there. Uh, uh -huh. We'll have links, I'm guessing, later. If you like podcasts, I have a weekly six minute podcast, the tech executive operator, sorry, the tech exec podcast that you can check out. And if we managed to make you interested about the book, you can go to techexecutiveoperatingsystem.com and get a free sample chapter of the book. That's great. You said a six-minute podcast? Yeah, most episodes are six to eight minutes, yeah. Oh, that's great. Wow, that's that's really cool. I should give that a listen. And I was looking at your LinkedIn posts. What I like them, about them also is that they're usually kind of short, you know, snack size, really easy to, to follow. So I do recommend following Aviv on LinkedIn as well and on Twitter if you're more into that. Personally, I'm not. I'm a LinkedIn person <laughs> through and through. <laughs> but anyway, um, and for those of you who might be meeting STX Next through Aviv, Hi, very happy to have you here, uh, dear watchers and listeners. STX Next is the organization bringing you this, this show and kind of uh, bringing you Tech Theaters Hub. Uh, we are a software development company based in Poland, and we are Europe's largest when it comes to Python software development. So if you've got a product uh, based on Python and or JavaScript, uh, and you want to build it faster, build it better, we've attracted some of the best talent in Poland, developers, designers, DevOps engineers, machine learning engineers, and more. And we can help you build your product much faster, much better, sdxnext.com. For more Tech Leaders Hub, techleadershub.com, the best way to follow us, honestly, is to follow sdxnext on LinkedIn. You can follow us on Twitter. We stream there too. If you're watching us on Twitter right now, hi. Usually our smallest audience, but hi. <laughs> all, the, all the happier to have you here. And that is pretty much it. I'm super happy for this uh, another Tech Leaders Hub session that went so so swimmingly. Uh, thank you everyone for watching, listening. Aviv, anything else to, uh, to add before we end the broadcast? No, thanks Kuba. I had a blast. Yeah, me too. I enjoyed it very much. Sad to click and broadcast, but I'm going to do that now. And I'll see you all next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tech Leaders Hub. If you want more advice that will make you a better technical leader, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Tech Leaders Hub sessions are usually streamed live, giving you the opportunity to get answers to your burning questions directly from our guests. To take part in Tech Leaders Hub Live, follow STX Next on LinkedIn and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. That's S-T-X-N-E-X-T. -E Last but not least, we invite you to join our community and continue the discussion on Facebook. Just search for Tech Leaders Hub and you'll find our dedicated Facebook group. Once again, thanks for listening. Really glad you could join us. Hope we'll see you in the next one.